Thank you so much. I appreciate uh, the orchestra playing along as we meditate. Give of your best to the master. I hope you meditate on those words as they play the music. Anybody need a handout tonight? If you need one, we'd love to get one to you. We have a few who might need one. Do we have any ushers who can help us out? We had some of those guys who were ushering earlier. Y'all mind grabbing some of those handouts? I'm sorry. As I was asking about that, I forgot to make sure there was somebody out there to get you an outline. All right, take your Bible, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, we are going to look at Christ-like giving. This is a series we started on giving, what the Lord has to say about giving. It became a, a burden of mind that we actually look at what the Bible has to say and that we, we get biblical about our giving, that we have become very uh, careful in how we give, that we are, we are sure to be giving as we ought to give. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Christ-like giving is the title. I have two parts to this message. This is the first part. The second part, we'll be dealing with Christ-like attitudes in giving. This will be dealing with Christ-like active giving. What's active giving to be Christ-like? And as I was um, thinking about this title and thinking about these ideas of how do we be, we're supposed to be Christ-like in our lives, how can we be Christ-like in our giving uh, if Christ did not actually ever put money in an offering plate to go to church? Because the church wasn't established until after Christ was ascended. We see the church established at Pentecost. There was no uh, First Baptist Church of Jerusalem that Jesus was giving to, necessarily. Uh, we, don't, we don't see that. So how can we be Christ-like? Now, obviously, Christ gave to the temple. Christ gave as He should have given. But is, is, how can we, as New Testament believers, be Christ-like? If, if we are to be mimicking His his giving, how can we do that? And so I thought back to just in his nature, just as, as God is the giver, Christ, also the Son of God, gives. Giving is tied to love. It's tied to the character of God. The most familiar of these verses is John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The love of God the Father demonstrated in his giving of the Son. Uh, and the agape love of God gives. And when we are in Christ, things change. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. So how we live should change. We should be Christ-like. Think about all the things that should change in a believer's life. He changes who he believes. He changes who he follows. He changes what he does and what he finds acceptable, what kinds of behavior is good. And I think it's important that believers not only do our choices change, but our reasoning behind our choices change. In the past, we might have done good things before the wrong reasons. And as a believer in Christ, as a disciple of Christ, our actions should have the right motives. And the best way we should do that, the best motive, obviously, is to honor to the Lord, to be like Christ. Now, the verses we talked about, God's goal for us, Romans 8, 28 through 29 says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. What is His purpose? For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. We ought to be edifying, we ought to be glorifying God by being Christ-like in our acts of giving. Let's have a word of prayer, then we'll see what the Bible has to say about how we can be Christ-like in this area. Father, we do Thank you for another opportunity to open your word here on this Lord's Day and to see what your scripture has to tell us about how we ought to live our lives. And we're thankful for the guidance, Lord. We're thankful for the direction you give us 
and really, as we see in this uh, passage today, as an, for the example you give us, as we ought to be true givers uh, who are Christ-like in how we do this, I pray that we would mimic you in our giving, that we would give out of love, and we would give because you've rescued us. We thank you so much for this passage, and then later tonight as we celebrate the Lord's table and we recognize and we remember your ultimate gift, I pray that we would be driven and compelled to live as you would have us live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Second Corinthians chapter 8, several things. We'll begin right at the top of this chapter. This is a long letter Paul has written to the Corinthian church. It's the second of such letters we have in our Bible. We have these two letters, 1 Corinthians, obviously, and 2 Corinthians are two of the longer letters Paul's written. And I, I tend to think that Corinth was such a church that had so many problems that Paul had, I had to write big letters to Corinth to handle all their issues. And here the majority of the letter is taken up with Paul dealing with his authority as an apostle and how uh, authentic ministry should be understood. I preached a whole series on 2 Corinthians and grew to love this book. This is very different. Um, uh, we're just going to pull this one section out and really look at what this has to do with giving. And what we see in this passage, number one, is that those who experience God's grace will give. Those who experience God's grace will give. Look at verse 1 as we see God's grace bestowed upon them. He says, moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So Paul is talking about, to the Corinthians, he's explaining what's happening elsewhere, all over the globe. He's saying, look, there, God's grace is going out to other churches. Here is Macedonia, this region north of Corinth, among whom were the Philippian churches there. God had given him, he says, great grace to them. Uh, grace is just the word Karis. In fact, so you might know somebody named Karis. Karis, I have a niece named Karis, and it's named Grace. It's the name Grace in Greek. And it means this, typically it can mean kind of a benevolent attitude or disposition towards somebody, that, that you have a good heart towards someone, Grace. Uh, but, but here, I think it's more than that. It, it, it's God's grace. It's, it's God's grace given. Uh, the word bestow is a fancy word, just means given. God gave this grace, this gift of good things to them. God's grace we know through salvation. We'll see more about this in a minute. But God's grace was freely given to them, and they responded. Look at verse 2, their response to God's grace. Actually, before I dive into this, look at chapter, uh, uh, I'm sorry, this 1 Corinthians 15, back in 1 Corinthians, he describes the grace of God in this way. He says, but the the, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Here's just an example of Paul in the first Corinthians talking about the grace of God making him who he is. And he says the grace of God is at work. It has been given to these people. And what is their response to God's grace? Look at verse 2, that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of of their liberality. First, look at their circumstances. He says, these people in Macedonia in great trial of affliction, and then he says this, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded. That's kind of a tricky phrase, and I want you to think about what he's saying. 
He says that they had these situations that in their afflictions, they responded or the reaction to these afflictions was not what you would expect. Afflictions, we tend to curl up in a ball. We tend to be defensive. We tend to reject. We tend to run away. We do all these things to defend ourselves when we are facing affliction, when we are facing uh, people coming outside of us and hurting us or coming to us, putting pressure on us, all of these things. And he says, no, 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 that's not how they responded. They responded to this affliction. He says, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abound. It, it expands. That their joy and their poverty together bounded to the riches of their liberality. They, they received and they gave out with liberality. That means they didn't hold back. They were, they were giving, but not as you would, they didn't just give because they had a lot of money. He says they gave even out of their deep poverty, they abounded in the riches of their liberality. They, they gave because they received God's grace. He says, God's grace was coming on these people. And because God's grace came, they gave. And and people, I think, who experience God's grace give because they're so overwhelmed with how good God has been to them. Secondly, we see in verse 3 that those who give themselves to God will give. He he moves on. He says in verse 3 that there was, he said, I bear witness that according to their ability, again, talking about these Macedonians, according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. Now, last time I preached, I talked about giving uh, freely out of uh, Exodus and, and, and how, how Moses described, how God described the people freely being willing to give. From a, from a willing heart was the phrase that repeated itself over and over again. And I described this verse, verse 3, as, as free giving, free giving. They gave of freely of their hearts. They weren't giving out of necessity or out of compulsion. We see that again later with their attitude. We'll talk more about that next time. But I want, to, I want you to draw your attention to something that is fascinating to me. He says that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. I have a question for you. How can someone do something beyond their ability? He, he says that they gave according to their ability. We all understand that. But they gave a, a beyond their ability. And we, we know this. We know how we can do things beyond our ability. How can you? Um, I, I cannot uh, go. I cannot run 60 miles per hour. I am not capable of going that fast. It's impossible for me. I have tried, right? It's impossible. It does not work. But I can go 60 miles per hour. How? In a car. Okay? If, if, if someone else is doing the work for me, or if something else is doing the work for me, I can do things beyond my ability. And here, you know, when God is the one, and here, here's what he's saying, that God was working in them, that they were, they were going to their ability, but they were willing to step out in faith and go beyond their ability because God was the one who was giving them the strength to do beyond their ability. In other words, when they obeyed God, God gave them strength to give. This was God-enabled giving, free giving that was God-enabled. They gave beyond their ability. We're not meant here to to pat them on the back. We're meant to acknowledge God's greatness in this. They were freely willing. There's no special fundraising events, no guest speakers to twist their arm, no extra promises of health and wealth. They were freely willing to give. And this talks a lot about what we talked about last time with willing heart to give. Free giving. Look also at verse 4. They had emphatic giving is what I call this, emphatic giving. Look at what he says here, he says, imploring us, verse 4, imploring us, this is Paul and his friends, with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Paul notes that they were, the Corinthian 
uh, the, the Philippians, sorry, the Macedonian people there were imploring them, pleading with them, and they pled with urgency. The word urgency here is just with great exhortation. This is the same word that means to come alongside or to exhort. They were commanding Paul. They were pleading with him in commanding way that he would receive this gift in the fellowship of the saints. I found another translation that helped me understand what this was saying. The Christian Standard Bible translates it this way. They begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints. They begged us, can we please give to you? And be partners with you in the, in the ministry. That, that's pretty emphatic. They, they didn't have to be convinced. In fact, they were doing everything they could to be, desperate, to be a part of Paul's ministry as he served, and they would not take no for an answer. They gave emphatically, and they gave relationally. This is relational giving. He says, and not only as we had hoped, and this goes to the point of the, 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 the point we're talking about, point two here, that not only had we hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord, this is verse five, and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would complete this grace in you as well. Notice that as the Macedonians gave, they first gave themselves to the Lord, and then they gave themselves to Paul and his companions by the will of God. They were willing to give themselves to God fully, and they partnered with Paul. They gave themselves, part of themselves, to Paul here. This means there was a real relationship established in the giving. They weren't writing checks to nameless, faceless people. They didn't know. There was a relational aspect to this giving of the people that were doing the work of the ministry. On a side note, let me say this is one of the things that's so important. What I believe is so important about our philosophy of missions here at Harvest is that we want to know who we're supporting. We love seeing our missionaries, getting to hear from them directly and supporting them directly because we have a relationship with the people we support. That's important because we know them. They know us. I can go visit them. They know who I am. You can pray for them. You write in cards to them. This is an important part of missions work is this relational mission, mission, uh, missions, relational ministry, relational giving. They had given themselves to God. Notice that's first. They committed themselves to God. Then they committed themselves outwardly. Then we see Titus, who was shown up several times in this book as a, as a helper, a companion, a fellow worker. Here he says that Titus needs to fulfill the service to them. We don't have time to get into all the details of that. At this time, it doesn't really talk about, it's not really uh, fitting for what we're, we're talking about. But if you look at the third point, he goes from those who are, are, are willing to give themselves to God, or those who give themselves to God will give, to this point, uh, very just briefly in verse 7, that those who are spiritually growing will give. And in 2 Corinthians 8, 7, he says, but as you, here he's talking back to the Corinthians, so he's used the Macedonians as an example. He says, look at what they did. I'm going to encourage you by showing you what other Christians are doing. As you abound in everything, and then he lists out their spiritual growth areas. Look at this list. As you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I want to make this point first. To grow is to abound. What I mean by this is that in the same way that you, um, we talk about spiritual growth, we think of that metaphor. Paul also uses this metaphor of abounding, that is becoming more and more full. That as we grow in our spiritual walk, we expand in our knowledge of God, but also in our capacity to, to, to serve God. 
and we, we, we know God better, but this abounding, this idea of growing and expanding. In fact, God, or Paul uses this example in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, when he, when he says this, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding, there's your word, in the work of the Lord, knowing your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's, you don't sit still, you are growing and growing in your faith. It's not just like this, it's growing outwardly. Does that make sense? It's like a balloon that grows instead of like something that just climbs upwardly. There's an aboundedness that should happen. And to grow in our faith is to abound. And the same way you are to grow in everything. Notice all these different uh, points. He says you are to grow in your faith. That means you grow in your trust of God, in your willingness to trust God, in your willingness to step out in faith. You abound in faith. If you're going to grow in your faith, it's, most, it's essential you, grow, you, you are abounding in this area. This is foundational. You must grow in your willingness to trust God. How hard, it is hard to trust God if you have not trusted God before. And so sometimes God tests you or God, God brings you along in these small areas where you learn to trust God until he brings you to bigger areas. You need to commit yourself to trusting God in the small things as well as the big things. Don't just say, I'll trust God when it's a big decision and not worry about the small decisions. No, God, God is bringing you along. You cannot trust God in the big decisions unless you first trust God in the small decisions. You must abound in your growth and faith. How about in speech? I believe this is talking about their spiritual speech with one another. You ought to be talking more about God in your speech with other believers. It ought to be abounding and growing. How about knowledge? Knowledge of the truth, spiritual knowledge. They're learning more and more about God. Isn't it amazing? I, I, I sometimes describe uh, learning uh, like this, that, that you, when, you, when I was in college and in seminary, I would take these classes, and when I take a class, I had no idea that this topic even existed. You know, have you ever been to a class like that? You're like, I don't even know what this topic means, and you walk into the class, and you start learning about this class, and I felt like it was like a door that opened to a room that, oh, that's interesting, it's a door, and I open the door and there's a room, but the problem with that room is that, that room has about 12 more doors in it. And you go to this other door, you open that door, there's another room with another 12 doors or whatever, 100 doors, you can make a number whatever you want. And, and it's like this, as you grow in your knowledge of God, you don't even know what you don't know. And Paul corrects people, and he says, you've been, you've been, we want to feed you meat, but you've been drinking milk because we have to take care of the He's like, abound in your faith, abound in your knowledge, abound so that you know more and more about God. Make a commitment to knowing about God. Make a commitment in your life to personally knowing who God is. Make a personal commitment that you will, you will study His Word and you will pray and you will get to know about God and get to know God. That's so important. Abound in your diligence. Abound in your diligence. Diligence is the word spude. It means a decision to faithfully discharge your duties. What God has called you to do, do it without complaining, without backtracking. Do what God has called you to do. This is related to fulfilling the work. Be diligent in your work. Be diligent in your service. In the small things and the big things, abound in your diligence. Abound in your love. Abound in your love. As the pinnacle of their relational giving was their love for the people who had done this work for them. He says, as you abound in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all diligence and your love for us, you're abounding in all these areas. To grow is to abound. It's to grow and to be fulfilled. He says then to grow is to abound in giving. And he says, as you abound in these things, look at the last phrase, see that you abound in this grace also. Don't forget giving, he says. Don't forget this grace. God's purpose for you are not just that you grow in what you would consider spiritual things, spiritual dimensions, 
but you would grow in the area of giving as well, giving as a practical outworking of faith. I'm not just talking about money here. I'm talking about giving of your time, I'm talking about giving of your resources, as in your, your knowledge, your, your, your uh, relationships. All of us only have a limited amount of time here on earth. And you have to choose wisely how you spend your time. And so some of us are very selfish with that time. We want to work as much as we can so we can get a good vacation, we can get a bigger house, and we keep moving and moving up. And we need to think about this. Are you willing to abound in giving to others, giving to those who need to hear it? In fact, I was reading a book by Charles Ryrie called Balancing the Christian Life, and he said this about giving. He said, to be sure, a vital spiritual life is related to fellowship with the Lord and in His Word and prayer and to service for the Lord and His work. But our love for God may be proved by something that is a major part of everyone's life, and that is our use of money. How we use money demonstrates the reality of our love for God. In some ways, it proves our love more conclusively than depth of knowledge, length of prayers, or prominence of service. These things can be feigned or faked or... Uh, he said, but the use of our possessions shows, up, shows us up for what we actually are. Where do we spend our funds? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Those who are spiritually growing, I believe, will be abounding and growing in their giving. Number four, those who want to be like Christ will again, this, give. This is where we come full circle to where we began. Christ-like giving. If you want to be Christ-like, look at the example of Christ as the one who gave. Christ gave for our sakes. Look at verses 8 and 9. He says, I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. There's a whole context to this discussion that he's talking about here, which we don't have time to get into a lot here, but he's leaning in 2 Corinthians on his authority, and he's establishing his authority as an apostle with the right to instruct the Corinthian people. He's saying, God has indeed made me an apostle. But in in this case, he does not lean on his authority. What he says is, I'm going to command you indirectly by showing you the example of the Macedonians and hopefully motivate you to do your part here. He, he basically is, is handling this situation tactfully. But in doing so, he go to verse 9, he points to the, to the place, to the example of Jesus Christ. And in verse 9, he says that Jesus is our example for one who gives. I want you to follow this, this, this uh, path that Jesus takes. He says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the word grace, as I've said, could be translated gift. Every time you see grace, you can think gift. And, and think about what he's saying here. You know the giving or the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what it looks like. That though he was rich. Now, what is that talking about? In what sense was Jesus rich? Well, he's not talking about his earthly life because Jesus did not, was not born to a wealthy family. His father was a carpenter. He's not talking about his, his wealth here on earth. He's talking about his pre-incarnate state, that prior to Christ coming in the flesh, what glories did he have? Think about this. Think about the glories of Christ before the birth of Christ. Think about what happens before creation. 
Think uh, before, um, before creation, yes, but even before the incarnation. Think Jesus, the creator of the world, according to Colossians 1. By him, all things were created. The Son of God, the creator of all things, Colossians chapter 1. How about John chapter 1? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. In the beginning, in perfect harmony with the Father. According to John 3, he says he came from heaven. He comes from the glories of heaven, sitting next to the Father. We see in John 17, 5, that there was a glory he had with the Father. He says, Oh, now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Oh, what that glory might have been. That Christ says, I, I, I want to be glorified with you again as I was. He longed for this. He was rich, richer than far, our, far richer than any of us could imagine. Philippians chapter 2 tells us how he, he came, being in every way God, did not count his quality with God something to be held on to, but humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That Christ, being with God and God, comes and takes on human flesh. We have him, God manifest in the flesh. Uh, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed in the world, received up in the glory. Speaking of Christ there, God manifest, God revealed in human flesh. Think of the glory that existed, the riches that he left. And it says, his poverty was for our sake. Though he was rich, yet for your sake, for my sake. You think about the severity of that. Have you ever had somebody do something for you that kind of made you feel bad? Like, oh, I'm sorry, you shouldn't have done that. I've had examples of that when I ask somebody, hey, do you, do you have that whatever? And they say, yeah. And, and, they, and then you find out they end up like, like going out of their way to make something for you or to do something. Like, I wasn't asking you to do all that. I was just like asking you offhanded. And they go out of their way and they serve you. And I, I've had several examples like that. It makes you feel bad. You're like, wow, you did that all for me. I kind of feel uh, like I shouldn't have asked you to do anything. I'm so sorry. You know, you know what I'm talking about. And, and yet Christ left the glories of heaven for us. He left the glories of heaven for our sake. It says he became poor. Poor meaning he took on human flesh and he lived like us. And, and, and a stinky, smelly uh, in, in, human body that was, that was, you know, had all the problems of humanity. Minus the sin. That, that Christ uh, came here for our benefit. It says that through his poverty which I believe also in, includes his death, through his poverty, we might become rich. It says here that we're given the riches of God in Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 1 says, all the promises of God in him are yes. That means that God fulfills all his promises to humanity through Jesus. Jesus is the perfect yes and completion to the promises. In fact, in Him, what are the other benefits, the other riches we have in Christ? We have redemption. Ephesians chapter 1, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His gift, His grace. Verse 11, in Him we have obtained an inheritance. That's a rich. That's riches. He's given us inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will that we who, fought, who first trusted in Christ should be the praise of His glory. And because he's given, we have been given this redemption, because we are found in Him righteous, not of our own righteousness, but with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, 
It says, being found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but we have that righteousness which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. This is the riches we have in Jesus. And one of the great riches we also have <clears throat> is that we can come to God in prayer. 1 John 5.14, now this is the confidence we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Think about the beauty that Christ gave all for our sakes. Though he was rich, he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. He didn't stop there. He also completed the job. It's a fascinating little detail. Paul's making a point here. He says, um, and in this I give advice, it is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, verse 11, but now you also must complete the doing of it. As there was a readiness to desire it, so also there will be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has, but not according to what one does not have. Basically, here's what he's saying. There's another part to giving. Not only are we to commit to giving and desire to give, that's important. I hope that tonight you would say, I have a commitment to give uh, to the Lord. I have a desire to give to the Lord. I want to follow him and obey him. That is the first part of growing and giving and giving in Christ-like ways, is desiring to give and committing to give. And a lot of you have already done that with um, pledges and things like that, and thank you for, for doing that. That is a, a huge, huge thing to do. But that's only the first part. What's the second part? It's to follow through. You see it in the text there. He says, it is to your advantage not only to be, not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do, but now you must complete the doing of it. Intentions are great. Follow-through is more important. He says, you, you, were, you wanted to give. You must complete the doing. There must be a completion. The parallel with Christ is obvious. Christ completed. Christ did what He was called to do. Christ did what He said He was going to do. He did not just desire to do it. He did it. A willing mind is good, and we ought to give according to what we are able, not what we are, not what we are unable to to give. We ought to be Christ-like in our giving, in the act of giving. And I just want to go through these four points briefly as we close. Number one, those who experience God's grace will give. Have you experienced God's grace? Have you experienced God's gift? And if you have, you ought to give as a, as a representative of that or as one who has experienced God's grace. And I'm not just speaking of giving to church. You ought to give, and you ought to tithe, and you ought to give offerings, absolutely. But you ought to be one who has the character of giving like God gave. Oh, man, it would be great if everyone in our church were people who were giving of themselves, not demanding of themselves. I've, ha I've had conversations with people who, who walk away from church and I say, what, what happened? Well, you didn't have what I wanted at your church. There's so many problems with that phrase. Think about it. They said, I, you, I don't have, or you didn't have what I needed. I wanted this program. I wanted this thing. Okay, that's very self-centered of you. But this is at your church. It's not my church. It's God's church, and it should be, you should feel like it's your church too. It really bothers me. People say, well, at your church. That's not my church. I'm not, I'm not you know, this is, not, this is not that kind of, a, of, of an organization. We, we honor the Lord. We're all church members together. 
And, and when people who have experienced God's grace, they will give of themselves. They, their attitude is not, what do you have to give to me? It's what can I contribute to build the church of God? What can I give to other people? How can I invest in others? And those who give themselves to God will give. I think it starts first in the heart. Have you given yourself to God? I, I wonder if everyone truly has done the Romans 12, 1 and 2 commitment to God and say, Lord, I sacrifice myself to you. I give myself to you wholly. I'm on the altar. You can take me. You can use me. If I die tomorrow, that's your, and if I'm following you, that's your, that's your will, I'm fine with that. There are a lot of people who are not fine with that. They're not willing to go where God would have them go. If that means they have to sacrifice, no, no, no. I want what I want. And God says that's not where fulfillment is. That's not discipleship. Discipleship is following Christ where He leads and following and doing what He says. Lay, putting, taking on your cross, leaving father and mother, leaving, leaving everything else that's important to you and saying, I will go where God calls me to go. I'll give myself because uh, you, I've given myself to you, and therefore what follows is everything I have is yours. And those who are growing spiritually will give. If you are growing spiritually, you will find yourself giving yourself and giving your things because the things of this life mean less and less to you, and spiritual things mean more and more. You start seeing the things of this world as God intends for you to see them as a steward, of God's things for spiritual blessings. And lastly, those who want to be like Christ will give. Do you want to be like Christ? Because of what He's done for us and because of who He is, we give out of love for Him. I encourage you today, would you be Christ-like in the act of giving? Let's close the prayer. Father, we ask you today as we prepare now for the Lord's Supper, I pray that you would help us to be Christ-like in our commitments tonight. If there is something we need to commit to, Lord, you'd help us to do that with all of our heart. We know that um, there are different levels of ability, and that's fine. There are different places we're all in, spiritually speaking. But all of us can give of our time, all of us can give of our, ourselves to you. We can commit ourselves to you. And so I, I beg of you, Lord, to work on hearts. Help us not to be so self-centered and self-focused. Help us to give willingly of ourselves, give willingly of our things so that you might be glorified and be honored and praised by our lives. We commit ourselves to you now.